Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today my guest is Brad Pickle, who has been a guest of ours before, so many of you are familiar with Brad. He's the executive director of the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association, and he'll be giving us an update on the AICW and what loopers can expect as they head north this spring. Before we bring Brad in, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we hope that our listeners will support these businesses that support the Great Loop. With the business out of the way, I'd like to welcome Brad Pickle to the podcast. Brad, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. I'm glad that we could do this because I know there's a lot of things going on on the Atlantic Intracoastal. But let's start. Um, tell us a little bit about the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association, um, who your constituents are, and what the mission is of the group. Sure. I, I first want to thank you. It's it's always great when you hear somebody thinking their sponsors because I, I get the chance to thank you all as a member uh, because AGLC, AGLCA has been a member of our organization for a number of years. And, and we are a membership organization who focuses on advocacy for the Intracoastal Waterway and our primary mission, and it's been the same since we were started in 1999, is to try to keep the waterway maintained at the authorized widths and depths that uh, Congress authorized going back to the early 1900s. And, and long story short, is it's supposed to be about 12 feet deep and about 150 feet wide, uh, in some areas 90 feet wide in the land cuts, like we always talk about the ditch up in the Grand Strand area there in northern South Carolina where I'm based. but. We're, we're working hard to, to try to keep her open as the marine highway that she was designed to be. You know, she is, it is Marine Highway 95, and as many of your listeners know, it's a very vital transportation link for us to get from the north to the south. Yeah, and I, I think probably in one of our first conversations a while back, Brad, I was really stunned to learn that the Congress has authorized the depth to be 12 feet because being here around Charleston, uh, there are many places that it doesn't even come close to that, particularly in low tide. Um, so tell us a little bit you know, the basics of the AICW. Um, you mentioned uh, that it's supposed to be at, at 12 feet. What are some of the actual depths and some of the more shallow places? Sure, yeah. Over the 1,100-mile-long stretch, and that's what we focus. Uh, we realize completely, and, and your cruisers definitely know, that what's often referred to as the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway definitely goes up into the northeast. But as far as the federal project and the portion that we focus on is Mile Zero in Norfolk, where you're going to have your spring rendezvous earlier or later this year, uh, mm-hmm. all the way down into southern Florida. So over that stretch, we see a variety of water depths. We see some natural water depths that can be much deeper than 12 feet. Uh, and we're always thankful for those because if it's naturally occurring, that means we don't have to spend money to keep it dredged, or at least as far as our organization goes, we don't have to advocate for that. But we've got some areas that actually are plus one mean low, low water, where they're supposed to be minus 12. So it, it varies. Right now, some of our biggest trouble spots are the ones that everybody knows about. Some of the stretches there in, in the Georgia region, some of the stretches in South Carolina, 
Generally speaking, North Carolina and Florida are fairly well maintained. Uh, Virginia typically is after the hurricane impacts that we've had the last couple of years. They had some issues with debris and some of the uh, shoaling occurring there in the Dismal Swamp Canal area. But, but overall, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and Florida aren't typically showing issues as much as uh, South Carolina and Georgia. The one exception to that rule, since there's always one, is in North Carolina where we have some of the shallow draft inlets that push the sand that come in on that flood shoal. We'll definitely have those inlet crossings that will shoal up. But the Wilmington District, with the support of the South Atlantic Division there and the Corps of Engineers, they're doing a much better job in maintaining those spots a little bit better for everybody. And so when you say maintaining it for everybody, give us a little bit of the details on the usage on the AICW, because I think it, it's, as you say, it's the Marine Highway 95, and I think it's used um, both for recreational and commercial vessels probably more than people even realize. Is there any uh, detailed statistics or information on uh, how many people are actually using the uh, ICW? Oh, you always, it, it's funny. That's, that is the, the question. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have great statistics because we don't have locks or dams except up in the Virginia stretch that really monitor how many boats come by. Uh, so we hear, we hear stories of double counting. We hear stories of not enough counting, uh, numbers left on the tables, numbers forgotten. But the way that we look at it is on the order of about seven to 10,000 boats annually go the entire route. But from our perspective, that only tells such a small piece of the story. For example, here where I live in Beaufort, South Carolina, I have friends that, and I that go out on the waterway, and we use it all the time, but we would never be counted in those numbers because we're not transiting uh, through one of those locks. And so it's, it's very deceiving from our perspective to, to focus on the full transit, uh, but if we want to look at a number that we can actually hang our hat on, we feel comfortable in saying somewhere on the order of 10,000 plus or minus make the full trip. But we know that there's such a more valid number out there. We just, there's no way to measure it. And so right. it's, a, it's always an area where we get hamstrung. Makes sense. You mentioned a little bit about the recent storms and their effects on the waterway in Virginia. Kind of overall for the, the 1,100 miles, um, what were some of the impacts of the storms in the last few years? Well, if you go back to 16, unfortunately, uh, Congress, back before we got in the logjam we're in now, uh, they actually authorized or appropriated additional hurricane recovery dollars. So the easiest way for me to talk about where the damages were is if we can focus on where we got money to take care of them. Uh, we actually got over $40 million. We typically, on an annual basis for the waterway, for the entire 1,100 miles, we're looking on plus or minus $15 million. So we got an additional $30 million in hurricane recovery, which is great news for maintaining the waterway, but it also shows the damages that occurred. Uh, we had damages, and when we say damages, typically it's shoaling. Uh, in some areas, going back to Virginia, we also had tree falls in the Dismal Swamp Canal, so you had debris removal. In Florida, we had some debris removal, but overall, uh, there in Virginia, we had some shoaling, and it's still getting worked out. Dismal Swamp Canal is now open, so we're happy with that. In North Carolina, we saw some of those shallow draft inlets, the, the sand being pushed onto that flood shoal. There was funding for that. Those projects are underway. Uh, moving down into South Carolina, southern South Carolina got uh, a few million dollars this year to dredge some of the shoal issues, seven shoals between Charleston and Beaufort, so between you and me. Um, mm -hmm. which is going to open up that section. Ashpukusaw is the one I love to hang my hat on 
because that one was actually the when I was talking about being plus one at mean low low water that was Ashapu Kusaw cut off and that's being dredged. Uh, moving down into Georgia, we're going to have a project going on later this year at Jekyll Creek where they're going to be dredging portion of the channel between uh, the bridge and going north on Jekyll Creek for people that are familiar with Jekyll Island. And then down in Florida, they on the annual basis usually spend between 10 to 15 million between federal and non-federal dollars to to keep that maintained. So that's 16. Switching quickly to to the impacts from hurricanes and 17 that we know really hurt uh, southern Florida and Puerto Rico and some of the islands. Um, we have not seen that hurricane disaster or the they call it a disaster supplemental bill has not been passed yet. But we really think the 17 impacts are primarily limited to Florida, and so mm -hmm. we'll get some additional dollars to go in there. But right now we are receiving sufficient funding to maintain the, the current issues, and so what our focus is in an organization, especially on the advocacy side, is now that we've got money that we fought hard to get, let's make sure that we work with our Corps of Engineers partners to execute and actually do the dredging. Mm -hmm. So you listed some places that uh, had some damage from the 2016 storms and work that's kind of underway. Any other successes from 2017 or continuing on into 18? Um, any other activities or projects that you want to mention? Yeah, real quick, uh, we have been very fortunate in this time of uh, tightening the belt on the federal level with appropriations, with actually money coming into the Corps to do the dredging. It's amazing, but we're seeing our numbers go up. Uh, we've actually are right now in the president's budget that was just released a couple weeks ago. We've actually are getting more money in the president's budget uh, than we've gotten in any year going back to the Stimulus Act. So back, going back to the late 2000s, um, almost a decade. So we're focusing on that as far as appropriations. The other unique project that I definitely want people to know about and to hit a little bit more on is that Jekyll Creek project. Uh, many of your listeners know that between Hell's Gate, Little Mud, we hear about those in Georgia, but we always come back to Jekyll Creek. Uh, that area has not been dredged since the late 90s. Uh, it's had some, uh, a lot of issues, primarily with what are we going to do with all that pluff mud. And so our association, in partnership with Jekyll Island, in partnership with the state of Georgia and the Corps of Engineers, have been able to put a project on the table to where we're going to beneficially use that material. And what I mean by that, in Florida, often what happens is when they dredge an area, it's got great sand, and they put that sand on the beach. They beneficially use what we've historically thought of as a waste or a spoil, the, the dredge material. They put it on the beach because over there it's a benefit. We've not done that a lot on the waterway in Georgia or in South Carolina. And so in Georgia specifically with the pluff mud, it's very challenging. But we have a beautiful marsh systems that are right there along the waterway, especially in the Jekyll Creek area in the southern Georgia stretch, where they're actually going to put some of the material on the marsh, not bury the marsh, but put a thin layer uh, to see whether or not it will help with uh, resiliency through both sea level rise or inundation, any impact that could possibly erode that marsh on the northern tip of Jekyll Island. And that's been a long time coming. If we can figure out a way to get that material on there where it doesn't have a detrimental impact on the long term on the island or on the marsh, that will cut the cost of dredging. So then we'll have a larger opportunity to move more dredging, not just in that stretch of Georgia, but use that technology, that experience, 
to do those types of projects in other stretches in Georgia where we have vital or very vital nurseries and marsh systems, but also in South Carolina. So that's really exciting for us. That is, and it's an interesting project. And I, I do want to ask you a few questions about that project because it is, um, you know, I, I think such a forward-looking way of approaching what's been an issue for a while. I do want to take a quick break to play a message from one of our sponsors, but when we come back, I do want to jump into that pilot project a little bit more at Jekyll Island. We'll be back in a moment. The new MJM-50Z is the most technologically advanced production motor yacht available. First worldwide to incorporate a Seakeeper gyro stabilizer as standard equipment to virtually eliminate roll in waves underway or at anchor. And in June 2015, the first to include fully opening power windshields for control of fresh airflow. MJMs are unique in the industry, built of environmentally clean, stronger and lighter epoxy composites in the USA. Owner benefits are significant, a smaller carbon footprint with 50 to 100% better fuel efficiency, a top speed with optional triple IPS 600s of 40 knots and crews of 35 knots, a more responsive, enjoyable driving experience, and greater safety offshore. For more information, visit them on the web at www.mjmyachts.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest is Brad Pickle, who is the executive director of the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association. And, Brad, you were just kind of talking about the Jekyll Creek pilot project. And it was actually at one of uh, your association's annual conferences that I really first became aware of the issues that occur in some places with what to do with that dredge material. Um, Had never really thought through before what might happen to that as it's removed. Um, so talk about, you know, historically what kind of an issue that's created and then how this really neat project at Jekyll Creek came about. Sure, yeah. It's, it's funny. When I was hired by the organization to be the executive director in 2012, I had a great meeting in the, with the Wilmington District. And uh, I'll always give them credit because I walked into the meeting with a background in doing advocacy and lobbying for governmental-type work. Uh, and coastal restoration type projects, thinking the issue is always going to be money. Can we? We're never going to get enough money, so we have to be strategic where we use it. Uh, and quite frankly, that will always be an issue. But I was sitting there in a meeting and looking across the table, and Roger Bullock with the Wilmington District looked at me and said, "You will realize very quickly that your biggest challenge over the long term is going to be real estate, and how do we? Where can we put the material that we take out of the channel?" And it was such an eye-opening experience to think, really. That's the issue, but it really is. Uh, you know, historically, and even if you look at some of the old language, it was always spoil this, spoil that, and so there's been a negative connotation to this wonderful material. My background's ge- uh, part of my background's geology, is that this is wonderful, viable material that should be a resource somewhere, uh, but in the waterway, specifically in the center stretch in that Georgia, South Carolina, where we have the cutbacks, we have these expansive marsh systems, it has historically been taken offshore because it's such a fine-grained material. It's that pluff mud that people haven't really looked at it as a new or or a new opportunity, I guess would be the best way to say it, or an innovative resource to really look and say, okay, how can we use this? Uh, In the past probably two decades, we've gotten much better on using sand and saying, Instead of going offshore and doing dredge projects and bringing the sand to rebuild beaches, we've looked at 
how can we take it out of an inlet and put it on the beach? And we've done that along the waterway. But it's really now taking that next step of saying, okay, what about some of these mixed materials? We've got a little bit of sand, a little bit of clay, or a lot of silt. How can we start being more creative? And the Corps of Engineers has established what's called a center of expertise. And not to get too far in the weeds, but what they do is when they have an issue that has an, a national perspective or could use expertise on a national level instead of each district having to figure something out, they stand up a center of expertise. They've got them for deep draft navigation, economics, all kinds of things. And they just stood up one in the last few years for beneficial use of sediments. And we are now going to be the beneficiary of having one of those beneficial use projects because nobody except for – I shouldn't say nobody. There's three districts that have taken the lead on this type of work. You've got Louisiana where you've got a lot of mud. Uh, they're building islands. Mobile District is building, has built islands with a mixture of sand and mud. And then the northeast, after Hurricane Sandy, did some back bay restoration work because a lot of their damages were on the back bay, not on the beach. And now we are going to be able to take that expertise that has been gleaned through those projects, coordinated through this center of expertise, which is based in Jacksonville, to try to figure out a way to more creatively use the material that's removed from Jekyll Creek. Uh, but it's not just a Jekyll Creek issue because we have other areas where there's not upland disposal sites. There's not a, a pit where we can drop the material off. There's not a beach where we can put it on. And so we've got the technical background that's being continued to expand here in the Jacksonville district nearby, along with a desire of the local community to say, let's use this material more uh, efficiently and then we have the state resource agencies that are saying, hey, we're on board. If you want to give this a shot, let's develop a monitoring program. Let's work with the local universities to do some research on this, along with funding that came through hurricane recovery. I think that's, that's the big piece of this puzzle is it goes back to my, uh, one of my earlier responses. We got $6 million in hurricane recovery funding for the state of Georgia. And you can use that a variety of different ways, but it, uh, as a variety of different projects, but it has to be based on a, a showing or, or damages that occur from the hurricane, which Jekyll Creek was impacted also. And they've decided to really put together a well-monitored, thought-out plan with a ton of stakeholder input project there in Jekyll Creek. And they're, uh, they're going to try a couple of different things, monitor it well. And we're hopeful that we can use this type of approach not only in Georgia, but as I said earlier, in South Carolina, in the Fernandina Beach uh, stretch, a little bit north of Fernandina in the southern stretch of Georgia, north Florida, uh, some of the areas in North Carolina, it may be usable. So we've got a, a really good chance here that's fully funded, completely supported, and permittable. It's, a, it's allowed by the regulatory agencies. So when you get those three pieces together, uh, you've got a lot working in your favor. So we're excited. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, you know, as that continues and it does start to, the, what you find out from that project starts to spread to other areas, there'll be a lot of beneficial use there. So definitely keep us posted on how that project is, is coming along. Um, you mentioned the president's budget, and we, we all know that the current administration has a, a focus on infrastructure, um, which thankfully the ICW falls under since it is used for transportation. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe the president's budget still has to, you know, that's his recommendations. Um, so we're still waiting for an actual budget. 
Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, will funding continue to be sent towards the Intracoastal Waterway, and what types of projects um, are you hoping to be able to fund as money continues to head your way? Sure. Yeah, unfortunately, we haven't even passed the 2018 budget yet. So I'm talking 19 money going up, but whenever somebody watches on the news and they hear this thing called the continuing resolution and shut down a government and all that, that's 18 money that we're in the fiscal year 18 already. It expires in September. So we haven't even given the money to the agencies to do the work that they're supposed to be doing starting September of 2017. I'm sorry, October of 2017. So they've been mm -hmm. working now for four months uh, on based on money from last year. Uh, they get money, but they don't get new money. So that's kind of a little inside baseball weird thing that we haven't even taken care of last year's work. That being said, we had uh, a good bit of money put into us, as I said, that $40 million plus for hurricane recovery. So I see that none of our pro projects are slowing down, but I want to set that stage because as soon as they finish these 18 bills, they've got to turn – 17 bills, they have to turn right around on the 18s. So we'll watch that. Uh, from us, what we're focusing on is two major pieces. Uh, the infrastructure bill that you just pointed out, and then how are we going to get the money for the work going into late 18 and early 19 since we've got funding for the 17-18 time frame. Um, taking the President's budget, you're exactly right. It's his recommendation. Historically, when it comes to Corps of Engineers projects, those numbers are not typically reduced. If anything, those numbers are added to. So we see the $19 million that's put in the president's budget as the floor, not the ceiling. And so we'll continue to work that and hope to get somewhere in the 20 to $25 million once Congress is done adding money in. The bigger so, question mm – -hmm. yep, go, go right ahead. ahead. No, no, go the bigger ahead. question is what's going to happen with the infrastructure bill. That's the one that everybody's watching. That's the, the multi – I guess we're up to billions or trillions now. It's a huge bill. Uh, I think it's still the billions. But the reality is for us at the Intercoastal Waterway, we're not really going to see a lot of that money because it's going to be cost-shared money with private investments. And there's not a mechanism on the Intercoastal Waterway for a private company to recoup their investment. Um, what I mean by that is we'll use a, a road. If you build a toll road and you go through that toll, the private company has ability, ability to recoup their expenses by charging you a toll, where we're not going to be tolling the intercoastal waterway. So right, and that makes sense. We can't, yeah, and you know, so, but our organization has taken a different tact on that. Is we're saying, let's not focus on public-private partnerships. Let's focus on federal, non-federal projects. And what we mean by that is, Right now, the buzzword is public-private everywhere, which is great, but the reality is what we're trying to do is leverage federal dollars, and our perspective is who cares if it's private? If we have a non-federal source, whether it's a local government or a state government that wants to put in their money, the federal government's perspective is let's spend less federal dollars. So let's, our organization says, okay, let's focus on that. If you want to put $2 million in federal, don't say it has to be matched by $10 million private, say it has to be matched by $10 million non-federal, and that gives our association and the stakeholders along the waterway the ability to bring non-federal dollars to the table that may be state funding, that may be local government funding, but not get hung up on terminology, focus on what the goal is. And, and that so makes far, a lot of sense. It's because, working. Yeah, a lot of 
a lot of what I hear on the, the whole public-private partnership as it affects the waterways, um, you know, there's discussions about things that could potentially have tolls or the like, um, you know, locks and dams, um, bridges, whatever it might be, um, boat ramps, you know, if there was a public-private partnership, there could be fees for those things, but the Atlantic Intracoastal doesn't necessarily have those types of things, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so I think looking at it as a federal state or federal city partnership is a great way to, to use that current trend and make it work for the Atlantic, Atlantic Intracoastal. So uh, kudos to you on that. I think it's a great tactic. Um, so any thoughts on what loopers who most of them are kind of lounging in Florida now and enjoying the warmth there before they get ready to head north. So as this year's group starts to come up the intracoastal, um, anything specific they should be looking out for? Um, you mentioned some of the areas that are being dredged right now. Um, anything else you want to point out to them as they head that way? Yeah, I, I think that's the one big thing is, you know, now that they've made their way down, they've they've dealt with some of the challenges as far as the hurricane impacts. They've seen some, some of the shoaling, unfortunately, some of the sunk boats and things that we can't, we don't want to gloss over. There's a lot of people that lost their boats and, and, and we had those impacts. And, and we're thankful. First, I want to say we're thankful for all the, the loopers that are that are still making the trip. It's vital for our local communities and businesses that rely on that traffic. So thank you would be the first thing I'd want to offer. But but now that they've made their way down, on the way back, just keep an eye out. They are going to see more dredging going on. One thing that's going to be different uh, uh, on this trip is there's going to be a lot of dredging here in South Carolina. And so just be mindful of that. Uh, it, it will be a benefit on the long term, but when you have the dredge equipment out there, you've got to keep an eye. But I know that you've got seasoned, seasoned users if they're going to be taking the loop. Uh, mm -hmm. But that would be the big thing I would say keep an eye out for and celebrate it because what that means is that the next time down, they're not going to have to worry about uh, some of the shoals here in the South Carolina stretch that's been a problem for so long. A lot of the Florida works wrapped up. Uh, a lot of the North Carolina works wrapped up. And so they would have had those impacts on the way down. But coming back through, they're going to see work going on in South Carolina. It started up in February earlier this month. Uh, and it'll be going on through the spring and the summer. So just keep an eye out and thank our dredgers as you come through, as we thank you all for coming down. Yeah, and we also want to thank you, Brad, and the entire Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association, because a lot of these good things we see happening and hear happening and uh, the projects that are underway or being completed um, really are resulting from uh, your advocacy and your leadership to, to get things money and, and figure out what to do with the dredge material and all those things are, are really coming together at this point and it has a lot to do uh, Brad with you and with your group so thank you for that how can our members get involved with the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association because you do have um, uh, individual members as well as uh, associations correct yeah absolutely and I am so sorry, but we are right beside the Buford Air Station, so you may have heard the flyovers uh, in you know, the background. You know, I think some of them were up here in Charleston this morning. I heard a few flyovers, and we don't usually have um, – we usually just have the, the C-17s here, but we did see a couple of um, the fighter jets this morning, so they're probably going back and forth today. <laughs> yeah, we are the base for the F-35s. That are, a lot of people are familiar with the, the news reports on the F-35Bs, and we are the base here in Beaufort. Uh, so that's those sounds. So they call it the sound of freedom here. But uh, <laughs> as far as, as what can happen, you know, it, it's funny. A lot of people don't realize, but individual boaters 
they make up our largest numbers, but quite frankly, they make up our largest impact because when we go and we advocate on behalf of the waterway, showing that people are members of our organization really does help. So uh, we do have, we are a membership organization and we have individual boater memberships for $25 and then for organizations and associations it goes up from there. Uh, that's one way you can do it. I always have to put out the money because that's what pays the bills. But the other way is for users that have the ears of local elected officials, state elected officials, or federal officials to just remember that uh, election season is coming. Uh, it starts earlier and earlier every year. And just to make sure and remind people the value of waterborne transportation. It sounds simple, but there is a huge need for us to advocate on behalf of saying that our waterways matter, our marine highways matter. So. The two ways I would do it is just to help people remember that it's not just about roads and railways and runways to get our deliveries to our houses um, and to our stores, but the waterways are a vital, important system that everybody benefits from and also everybody can be an advocate for. So word of mouth and we do have our membership program would be our two yep. major ways to help us out. Perfect. And we do encourage everyone to, to help out with those projects. It really does make a difference. Brad, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you coming back. And we'd love to have you back another time And as the Jekyll Creek project gets a little further along and hear how that's going. Yeah, we think it's going to start in the fall. So maybe we can circle back around once it gets underway. I'd love to do it. Great. We'd love to do it, too. Thanks again, Brad, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>